Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to, uh, it's, it's fun. I've, I've only met one family who's from out of town here this week. I think it's pretty much local folks. It's, it's, we love having all of our guests that are here all the time and, and everything, but it's really a treasure in the last couple of weeks to be with our local folks and, you know, just have a full room of people who want to follow Christ that live in our town. I love that. One of the things I do once a month is I go up to Paradise, the school up here, and I read to the little kids. And really, every time I walk up to the door and push the little code and go in, it's not un- I don't feel unlike Big Bird. <laughs> you know, this is a big, goofy guy, and I might as well be wearing a big yellow suit because when I go in there, the kids, I mean, they might come up to my knees. You know, the oldest ones are like here. They're tiny little people. And so, of course, for the first few weeks, especially the littlest ones, they're, you know, pretty terrified of who is this guy? Did they do a background check on him and stuff like that? I don't know if kids think that, but that's kind of what's in the back of their mind. And so, you know, as the months have gone by, you know, I'll, I'll bring stories. And it's, it's nice because my wife loves uh, kid stories. So she has this giant collection of kids' books. So I can go in there and pull some out and, and bring them. And I always try to pick a few that I can use, you know, if for the different grade levels, even though they're all pretty close. Well, uh, for the oldest kids, one time I thought, well, I'll, I'll just go in there with a, like a chapter book, a story they can kind of follow for more than one time. That, that didn't work. It, it didn't work at all. And... <laughs> It's funny with these little guys because you'll, you'll get there, and you guys all know what this is. The, well, the teacher usually will step away just a little bit because they need to get something else done while I'm reading for the 10 or 15 minutes. And there's always a kid, you know, with a diaper that's not great. So that's fun. And then, and then one kid just won't sit there and is running around. And, stuff. and then if, you, if one kid touches the picture of the book, all need to touch the picture of the book. <laughs> So there's always this dynamic going on, and the kids are, you know, here, there. Sometimes they're focused, and sometimes they're not. I realized in the process of doing this that I really need to choose carefully what book I bring, how many pictures, what kind, of, how many words, how big the words are, and all that. I've learned this. They need this unfolding of the story in the right way. And just like has been mentioned by Jim and by Tyler, the story of Moses that we're going to look at right here is something that... Uh, unfolds in a way God is providing us with exactly what we need to hear to know who he is and how he's going to work through this man Moses with his people. And he gives us just enough. He gives us really exactly what we need. And I hope as we walk through this together that you will see that, the way he's unfolded, the way he's provided. You, I think we'll also see that we're a lot like these little kids in that sometimes we're really connected and focused and getting, oh, yeah. And other times we're just stinky <laughs> or, uh, or out to lunch, you know, just completely not paying attention, wandered off, getting in trouble, whatever. But it's, it's kind of an interesting little parallel uh, in the way that God has unfolded his story and something that's written down that we're going to look at. We're, we're actually going to see Moses' story in Exodus, in um, Deuteronomy, in Leviticus, so, and Numbers, we'll, all those four books, we're going to see his story there. But here's the big picture, I think, of what's happening with Moses and what 
we, we need to see. In, it's an overall picture of God working to reconcile. And he's going to use a man to make that happen. He's going to reconcile people. He's promised the Israelite people, the Hebrews, that he is going to make, he promised Abraham that he was going to make Abraham a great nation and through him all nations would be blessed. He made that promise. But where is Israel right now? Where are these people? They're oppressed. They're alienated from God. They're totally in this other culture. Everything is going wrong. But yet there's this promise that's, that's standing there. And here's, here's the thing. God is always working towards reconciliation, towards delivering. This is the thing that he is doing. This is the, the overarching picture of the story, of the whole scripture. But especially as we look at this, this man's life. So as, as we look at this, uh, as we look at this life and we look at how it unfolds through these books, and as we look at it reflected in the, in the New Testament, we're going to see what God's doing, how he's redeeming people, how he's reconciling folks to himself. We're going to see the leadership development of Moses and how that relates to us. We're going to see the antics of the Hebrew people, also not unlike us. And I think in the process, we're going to learn a lot about who we are uh, in relation to what God is doing. So what I want to do is describe for you the the first part of uh, what's happening in, in the book of Exodus. We're in Exodus 1, so if you've got your Bible or you've got one in front of you, you can turn there. We'll bring it up in just a minute. But what, what has happened, and I'm just going to summarize this first part, is that you remember Jacob has these sons, and then Joseph ends up in, through a whole bunch of series of bad situations, he ends up in Egypt, rises to power, and his brothers who send him away, end up coming to Egypt. He takes care of them. He invites them down. The Pharaoh invites them. And so they're, uh, because of Joseph's high position, these people are able to start a new life outside of the famine that's happening further to the north in Canaan. So now these generations have started to multiply, and the Hebrews are becoming quite a great nation within Egypt. And the king, the Pharaoh at the time, gets worried about that. So he decides on this plan uh, how to, of how to control the, the Hebrew people. So things are not looking good. His first plan is to put them in slavery. So he simply appoints taskmasters over them, makes them just, uh, they become brick, build, brick makers, and they build cities, or, uh, storage house cities, and things like that. He just oppresses them. And I, I'm not sure that's exactly the best way to get people to appreciate you or to be on your team, but that's, that's what the Pharaoh does. And that's the first thing he does. And so this is happening for a while. And then the Hebrews continue to uh, propagate and they become more and more people, become more and more. So he decides that he's going to speak to the, there's these Egyptian folks, these women who are the midwives. You guys know this story for the uh, Israelite people. And he says, what I want you to do is whenever there's a male baby born, I need you to, to, to kill that baby. Well, now that, that's not a very good strategy either. Uh, and it's a cruel strategy. You start to see the heart of the Pharaoh and his great concern. Well, the, these midwives say to, they, they actually don't perform. They don't do that. They basically say something like, and this is all there in Exodus 1, it says, this, when Pharaoh calls them in, they say, well, we can't get there in time. The Hebrew women have their babies too fast. They, they call them vigorous. So, uh, <laughs> 
So, or their camel ambulances aren't quick enough. I don't know how they were getting there, but it wasn't working out. So that, that doesn't work as well as it had, had hoped. So he comes up with another plan. This is all, you know, this first setting up the story. Uh, he, just, he says, here, I'm going to set this law that newborn male babies are actually thrown into the Nile, which sounds like a terrible, horrible thing. And, I, you know, we, if you've been around the Bible at all or seen the movies or anything, you've, you've seen the story. We get a little bit desensitized to it. We don't think about what a crazy, horrible thing that was. It's sort of part of the story. And I started trying to really be honest about how, how awful that was. And it, but it came to me, you know, really, not only in that culture was infanticide something that wasn't um, thought of quite like it is today in our culture, but it, even in places in our, in our world today, that kind of thing happens. And even in just a, not even a generation ago, uh, with the Jewish people again, people stood by, people with power, and watched horrible things happen. So as I tried to reconcile how this could possibly be, I realized, well, this is, this is not so far out of the realm of possibility in the time of Moses. But these steps of this Pharaoh actually lead to a mother being really creative. I don't know if she was into arts and crafts or boating or what, but she combines those skills. She says, well, I'm not going to kill my kid. I'm going I'm to use this... Uh, fact that I know that there's a chance that he could be picked up and nurtured by one of the princesses of one of the children of the Pharaoh. They come down to the Nile to bathe, you know the story. So she builds this little basket and puts him there. And in the process of this creativity, she, uh, her, her daughter, Moses' sister, engages with the princess who sees the baby Moses and hears him. And that princess asks or actually the daughter says, hey, I know, a, I know someone who can help you take care of this baby. Well, the mother, Moses' mother, actually is able to step in and raise him for the first five to eight years of his life. So here's where we pick up the story. This is Exodus 2, uh, 9 to 15. Can you scoot up to that part there? Exodus 2, 9 to 15. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, this is Moses' mother, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and, when, and he became her son. And she named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. And one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to the people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew of his people. And he looked this way, and he looked that and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And he answered, who made you prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you did the Egyptian? And Moses was afraid and he thought, surely this thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. That's where we're going to stop today. So the main thing that I want you to see today is we've got this overarching picture of God's reconciliation, this thing that he's doing. He's delivering. He's making relationship with himself possible. That's what's going to happen as we unfold the story of Moses. But 
this particular part is about the beginning of the preparation of Moses as a child and as a young man. In, it's a twisted story. It goes all over the place. But the ending is unusual, I think, y'all. He ends up sitting basically on a stack of rocks hundreds of miles north and east, alone in the desert. That's the end of the pr- first part of the preparation of Moses' life. And as depressing as that might sound, that's a little bit of where I want to leave us today. As we look through this, I want us to, to follow the story of his life as it starts to unfold. But then I want to see, I want, to, I want each of us to go to that place, and I'll describe how in, as we move forward, S- um, where we have stepped away uh, from, we've stepped away from the, the churn of our lives, the things that are happening, and we have a moment to sit down with everything stripped away with God. And I'll describe that for you as we move forward. There's, there's three steps to this. We're going to see this big picture of God delivering. I'll show you that, I hope. Uh, we're going sh- to see that God works then through messy people. And then, thirdly and finally, we're going to see ourselves, I think, with Moses. And I hope begin to face who we are and what God has for us. So, the big picture, then the fact that God uses mosey people, messy people like Moses, and then for ourselves then to identify with him. And this is that, that first thing in the big picture. God is not unaware of what's happening. You know, at the beginning I said, you know, there's this failed promise. That's what it looks like to me. He said, Abraham, I'm going to bless your family. Jacob, I'm going to bless your family. Joseph, I'm going to bless your, your family. Everything is, these things you're going, to, you're going to be provided for. And here are the people in slavery. That doesn't make sense. But the principle is this, that dark times, dark times do not mean that God is not at work. Dark times do not mean in your life, in the big picture of what's going on, do not mean that God is not at work. Now, as I was looking at this, I had to really ask myself personally, uh, why would God not just take care of this? Why did he have to allow history to unfold in such a, such, with such great suffering? We're so comfortable here, we can't, it's hard for us to engage with this kind of suffering that children you know, having to put, the, put your child to death. Why does he do that? Of course, that's an eternal question. Uh, why doesn't he just fix this thing? And I can't, I'm not going to answer that question for you, but I can say this again, that in spite of dark times, he is a deliverer. So why he allows the story to unfold and wickedness to pervade and hard things to happen and sin to be so difficult, we can't answer that. Someday we will understand. But in spite of that, he is faithful. He will deliver and he will be merciful because that is who he is. And as you look at this, and Jim mentioned this uh, when he was giving a little introduction to this series, he said that um, the, these hard things actually lead to good things. And it's, it's uh, the, the suffering, 
that the people went through led to the formation of who Moses was going to be. So the persecution led to the mother's creativity, right? And so this thing starts to happen. And Moses is raised his first few years, I think they think five to eight years in his Hebrew household. So he identifies he's, you know, those are those big formative years in your life. And so he learns the language, he learns the people, he learns the suffering of being in slavery, he learns all of those things. He's hearing all of this, he's growing up with it, right? But then at a certain time in life, he's moved to a new family. And he moves from slavery into the palace. That had to be quite a shock. I wonder if his mom was preparing him, if his parents were telling him, this is what's going to happen. That would be pretty frightening as a kid. Suddenly, everything's going to change for you. You're not going to be with us anymore. You're going to be raised by somebody completely different, in a completely different culture. In fact, the one that you've been hearing us, uh, hearing about our suffering under for years, for your whole life. I wonder how she prepared him. But now, because of that, and because of this whole situation of suffering, he's going to be educated. He's going to learn all about the way that the Egyptians work. He's going to learn their religion in a different way than they would. All of this stuff is, is not available to any typical Hebrew child. Another thing about Moses is that he is the one boy in his generation. And that had to be an interesting place to be. Can you imagine how the other mothers felt or looked on his mom? But God is working to prepare his leader, and he's not doing it the way we would choose, and he's not doing it in the timing that we would choose. But he's doing it. I have a friend in Africa who suffers uh, persecution. He's, he ha- deals with poverty, illness, things that he can't get taken care of over there. And he consistently says to me when we talk, whenever we're talking, he always says, and he, he likes to talk in, uh, poetically a lot, he'll say, God is not one to come late. He will not arrive late. He always says that. And so no matter how hard the situation is, no matter what he's facing, he will say, God will not arrive late. And what he's always saying to me is that God will be faithful and he will deliver in his time. So what I have to do personally with this stuff, y'all, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scripture is hard. Just take a minute and look at it. It's hard stuff. It's revealing a holy God who deals with sin. And it's, it's pretty hard to read sometimes. And so we have to, as believers, we have to ask ourselves, what, what is this? What's, what's happening here? So what I do is I look at Psalms. These, are, these, um, these poems that have been written to describe the character of God. And one of my favorite ones says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you formed the earth and world, you are God. Before everything happened, you are God. So for, for me, I have to say, all right, I understand that God is absolutely control. He's the creator. He made me. He made you. He is doing what he is doing. It is him. He is in charge, absolutely. And on the other end, I look up into the New Testament, and I see in Romans eight twenty eight, he says, I know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. God will be good both through these hard things because he is in charge of all, but also God will be good to us personally. There's a cosmic 
overarching sense of God's incredible, uh, his incredible character and his nature that is working in his timing. And then there is the relationship that he has with us. And he's working all these things for good. So God will not be late. He will come through. That's the overarching picture. He is, he is a deliverer. But the next thing is that he uses and works with and has relationship with messy people. And that's kind of where we come into the picture. At least, maybe just me. Uh, now, I was describing Moses' childhood, but think about this for just a second. And you can relate it to your own. All of us have stories. He had a difficult childhood. I mean, remember that idea of his mom preparing him to have to leave his family. This, his family is still out there. Being the only boy at six years old must have been pretty harsh. Because when you're six years old, you don't like girls anyway. And he was surrounded by women, right? Young ladies. But he didn't like that, I'm sure. But at the same time, all of that pain around that genocide that was happening must have been terrible. He grew up in a culture that was powerless, and he moved to a culture with all the power, the oppressors, and was welcomed into that family. Can you imagine him trying to choose which culture to be a part of? You know, if he chose to be a Hebrew and live like that in his teenage years or something, he would be giving up all of this that he had with the palace. But if he chose to live like someone who was a true Egyptian, he would be rejecting his history and his family and his people, which in, you don't reject your people in that, those cultures. So can you imagine this bind that this kid is growing up in? Well, then, as, we, as I read to you, he gets to the point where he has a, basically his temper breaks out. His anger is so intense that he kills someone. And his first instinct is to cover it up. So we're seeing a couple of things about Moses right here, about his character right off the, st- right off the top. He, well, one thing we can say is that he was defending someone. And that's, that's good. But he murdered another person and covered it up. Looked this way and that before he did it, right? And the next day when he goes out, and he, he, he approaches this uh, place where these Hebrews are, are working in, in, in under slavery again, and there's a fight. And he's seeing this other disruption happen. And he goes up and he discovers that they know what happened. So apparently the guy that he rescued has spread the word, right? In verse 14, he says, one of the, the other guys said, Who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you did the Egyptian? And Moses' next step is to flee. He just runs away. So Moses has some serious problems. There's a lot of dysfunction in Moses' life. He's confused about who he is. He has a lot of guilt. He's afraid. I mean, you know, if you just picture knowing someone like that and all the stuff that they have going on, they're struggling, right? And we have, we're not unlike that. Despite all of that, Moses is the one that God is going to use. You know, this makes me think of Jesus' disciples. When you look at those guys, who he chose to follow him and be the apostles, the guys who would bring us the word, man, these guys are messed up. They got problems. Not only do they have problems in life, but they're uneducated for the most part. Some are the most hated, like the tax gatherer, Matthew, right? God chooses people that are broken and messed up to serve him. Messy people. 
But what I think this says to me, and, I, and maybe to us as well, is I think it is, it's an invitation from God to be a part of something much bigger. Because, y'all, we're, we're so focused on the daily life. We're so focused on the things that are broken about us, about our history, that we disqualify ourselves and take ourselves out of the game following God and living with Him and living in relationship with Him. But instead, I think He's inviting us, despite how messy our lives and however things are broken in us, um, those, those are not disqualifiers for us. And that we are free, actually, to do, through relationship with Him, to do good things for Him, to be a part of recon- His story of reconciliation, of bringing mercy, justice, deliverance. We're messy. We made mistakes. We have hard upbringings. We may be going through tough times, but none of those things prevent any of us from being a part of God's story of reconciliation, of leading people towards him, just like Moses. So God's at work in the darkest possible times. He's in the business of building relationship with and empowering people who have a lot of problems. And finally, what I think this leads to is to take us to that place where where Moses was far away to examine our soul just for a minute. And 2.15, it says, The Pharaoh heard of it, and he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled, and he stayed in the land of Midian, which was a desert north and east. And he sat down by the well. Moses is 40 years old at this point. And by all practical analysis, he has failed in a spectacular way. Because he was a prince, things were going pretty well, and now he is in the middle of the desert, completely alone. He's a murderer. He's got this twisted history. He doesn't know if he's Hebrew or Egyptian. And he could tell anybody that he met any of his story. Are they going to even believe that? He's basically starting from scratch. My guess is that alone out there, sitting by that well on those rocks, he is looking back at life and thinking things aren't going very well. This has been really hard. I don't like where I am. I don't like what has happened, and I'm suffering. All seems lost. But we have the benefit of looking back and seeing the whole story, right? We can see what happens next. He's going to do amazing things. But before he does that, y'all, he's going to be in the wilderness. He's going to be a shepherd for 40 years. So God has this very long training program for Moses. (laughs) This preparation is pretty rough. The first part of his life's been rough. He's confused. Now he's going to settle down and be a shepherd for 40 years before God's going to call him to the next step. I think when Moses was out there, everything was stripped away. Everything he thought was important is gone. The sin that he had engaged in, no matter, we only know about the murder. We don't know what his life was like. All that is gone. He's now alone with God and nobody else in the middle of nowhere with not a lot of prospect. 
Moses, I mean, truly, that's hitting rock bottom, don't you think? That's, that's as low as you, that's hard to be in that place. But I wonder if you and I have to actually get to that place. I wonder if we could look, just put yourself with him for a second. If you could look back honestly at your life, where you are at this point, what's happened, what you've done, what's happened to you out of, outside of your control, decisions you've made, and say, God, <clears throat> I acknowledge all this stuff and lay it before you, but um, I realize, Lord, that in spite of the fact that I have all of this baggage, all of this stuff, that you want to reconcile me and build a relationship with me. All that stuff is as hard as it is and as awful as it was and as, as, all the mistakes I made, all of that is okay with you. And we can go forward. And I think that's where we can actually, because of the ability of us, our, that we have to look back at Moses, that we can actually look forward when we sit there like him. And actually, for, I would challenge you, if you have time with God this week, set it aside. If you have a few moments, and, and talk to God about what he actually has for you, what he is training you for, because all of you, if you're a believer in this room, are a part of the story of God's deliverance. You are helping people move forward in relationship with him. If you're not, God is preparing you for that. Moses was not always in that place. But that's where he's moving you. And you can say, well, I'm not gifted. I don't have this. I did that. All this stuff has happened. I'm trying to tell you that is not the point. The point is what God has done and what God is doing. That is his story. And we're a part of his story. So God is, even in the darkest times, working for deliverance. He's working for reconciliation to build relationship with us. He embraces and loves, sent his son for messy, messy people. And he can use you. You can be a part of that story, and and myself as well. We can't disqualify ourselves. So what I want to do is, again, encourage you I'm sure you will have a few moments, even in the busyness of your life this week, just to set aside some time and sit with God and do those two things. Look back and look forward. Face what has been and look forward. And I, and I, so I'll, I'll leave you with this. I've often thought, you know, we, we read these stories about individuals who rise up and do amazing things for God, Right? And we're, we think, oh, that's awesome. You know, that's so cool how they did that. And God used that person. I don't, I don't know what prevents us, even in our, in our small little world, uh, of God using one or two. What if three or four of us or five? Or, it could be you. you. You can't be disqualified. I mean, look at Moses, right? We're actually to, to move forward and do things that really led all of us towards Jesus, that really led our talent. I mean, that is possible with people in this room. What if that was to happen? You know, powerful leadership was just through being a servant, just through being who you are. God has made you for that. Anyway, I just, I want to leave you with an idea of hope that, that don't, don't disqualify yourself. Um, let me pray and we'll, Father, we come to you. I uh, thank you for the foreshadowing of 
the reconciliation that Jesus would provide, that this story is, that Moses in his time now will begin to uh, direct, <clears throat> to, be, to foreshadow the idea of renewed relationship with you. And God, your son will be a part of that. And Lord, I pray that we'll see it very clearly. And God, whatever is going on in the hearts and minds of any person in this room, Lord, all of us have stuff that we feel like disqualifies us and makes it impossible for us to be not only in a deep relationship with you, but actually to make a difference in our world and bring peace and reconciliation and um, deliverance, hope uh, for our friends and our, and our community, God. Let us not be defeated. God, may people in this room, even right now, rise up. God, uh, through spending time with you alone, far away, uh, even if it's in the quietness of their own room, at home, Lord, and and move, uh, open up a new door of opportunity in following you. So, God, we uh, we come before you with this this morning. Ask that you'll bless, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all have a great week, and we will see you again soon. Yeah, no, it's what